0: As long as we've been human, we've been making marks, symbols transferred from our imagination through our bodies to tell stories, keep records, and make magic. We can't help ourselves. We need to create. Today, we talk with a woman who studies this phenomena and teaches others how to construct sigils for personal manifestation. If you love history, art, and or witchcraft, you will thoroughly enjoy this interview. So get your pencils ready today on Homespun Haints. Hello, Hainted Loves. Welcome to Homespun Haints. I'm Becky. And I'm Diana. And today on the show, we are so thrilled to bring on Laura Tempest-Zakroff. She is so many things. She's an artist. She's a witch. She's an author. She's a dancer. She is the embodiment of the artist that does it all. A modern Renaissance woman. We've read a couple of her books that she's written on sigil witchery. And that's what we're actually going to be focusing on today talking to her about what is a sigil? What is a sign how that relates to us as human beings and how you yourself could go and create one and where you can find her books. So we're very, very thrilled to bring on Tempest here in a few minutes. I think you're really going to enjoy this interview. We really enjoyed this conversation. Diana, before we bring on Tempest, you know, I always have to share what's going on in one of our lives.
1: That's our job. We are storytellers. Tell me a story,
0: Becky. I have a story for you. I had some family that recently visited me from Florida. In fact, we we talked about that Florida man case where the guy threw the baby alligator through the drive-thru window. You remember that one? <laughs> no. No? Okay, well, we'll include it in our show notes. Live, Laugh, Larceny recently did an episode about it, and I was like, oh, I remember that one. <laughs> of course, I had to ask when they were up. I was like, were we related to that guy? And they were like, not that I know of, <laughs> but can you get any more Florida than that?
1: Can you get any more Florida than throwing an alligator through a window at a drive-thru?
0: So my family was visiting, and for the last day they were here, we decided that we were going to go to Kennesaw Mountain Battlefield. So, Diana, we missed this when you were in town, but Kennesaw Mountain is considered to be one of the most haunted places in Atlanta. We went to some of the other most haunted places. We went to the Fox Theater, we went to Oakland Cemetery, we went to the Kennesaw House, but we did not make it to Kennesaw Mountain.
1: That's actually more my speed, because I like I like haunted places where just in case ghosts don't show up, there's something else to do. You yeah. know These battlegrounds are kind of like mm, it's a big expanse of trees and grass.
0: Well, this is not so much an expanse as going up. Oh, because it's a mountain. I get it. It is a mountain. So I learned on a ghost tour, a Marietta ghost tour this weekend, because I did that with my cousin while they were in town, that the word Kennesaw is actually a Cherokee word for cemetery. (gasps) You don't say. And this particular mountain had been a place for burial. For thousands of years before Europeans ever traversed its soil.
1: It suddenly got more interesting.
0: And then it became a place. It was the last battle that the Confederates won in the entire Civil War. A thousand Confederate troops died. Three thousand Union troops died on this mountain.
1: This mountain that was a burial ground long before.
0: Yes, so very, very haunted, very haunted, and also very beautiful. It's a mountain, and it's it's a place where people go hiking, they take their kids. So this mountain, there's several parking lots, because you know how a lot of battlefields, there's like a driving trail that you can go through because it's just so big. I mean, yeah. 4,000 troops, it's a lot to cover. Even though it was a Monday when we got there, it was packed. There was only one spot in the parking lot at the base of the mountain, and I took it, of course. <laughs> and when the rest of my family arrived, my cousins arrived, there weren't any more spots. And so I said, go on to the top of the mountain. We'll hike up and meet you there. Okay. I had always wanted to hike to the top of this mountain. And I read the map wrong. I thought the map said it was only half a mile. I was like, oh, that's easy. We could do half a mile. And I started noticing as we're going that everybody else's dressed with their, like, hiking backpacks and their water bottles and their workout gear. And I'm just in my jeans and my sneakers, and so is my mom. And my daughter, Hello. of course, is wearing <laughs> completely inappropriate footwear because she's a queen <laughs> and will not listen when I tell her to put on socks and appropriate shoes. I'm still like that. <laughs> About three quarters of a mile later, I start thinking, Oh, when are we going to get there? We should be there by now. And I start asking people on their way down, How much farther? And they're like, oh, you're about halfway there. And I'm like, really? I keep thinking it's just going to be around this bend, just going to be around this bend, because it is literally a road that curves all the way up the mountain. We keep going. We keep going. We make it a mile. We make it a mile and a quarter. I look back at the map, and it says it's one and a half miles. This is an incline. If you're driving it, you have to go at 10 miles per hour very slowly down curvy road that's how steep it is my cousins are texting us like where are you and they were kind of freaked out by this drive because they're from florida (laughs) we don't have things like this in florida we're going up why are we going up so i just said we can't make it anymore there was a little pull out lookout area i said can you come down and get us so they came down they opened up the back of the truck. Yes, it's a pickup truck. It's a big pickup truck. It's a Dodge Ram. <laughs> it's really high off the ground. This is Florida people. And they open up the pickup truck, and I climb in the back. My mom and my daughter climb in the cab because... I was not sure what the law was on children riding in the back of a truck. In Georgia, I've later learned it would have been completely legal for my daughter to be back there It's Georgia, yeah. You can't ride in the back of a truck under 18 on the highway. Anything (laughs) else is fine.
1: (laughs) Oh, dear. Where else do you put your children when you got two seats?
0: My cousin and his daughter, we climbed in the back. We get all the way to the top of the mountain. And it's beautiful. There's views there's trees there's birds there's cannons
1: of course there's cannons there's always cannons
0: <laughs> and my cousin opens up the back of the truck for me to get down i am short oh no i am five foot no, oh we've no. talked about this on the show before i'm used to hopping out of the back of my husband's truck because he is a smaller truck yes we also have a pickup truck because we live in georgia save your hillbilly comments for the end in my opinion it's a pretty big one Oh no, it's considered like a mini truck. Oh wow. (laughs) Yeah, but anything bigger wouldn't fit in our garage. Apparently people make fun of him for having such a small truck. That truck is huge, dude. Well, not like my cousin's (laughs) truck. My cousin's truck. Let's just say I climbed out on the tailgate and I was like, I'll just hop down. Completely misjudged the distance from the tailgate to the ground. It must have been at least six or seven feet. and it's a parking lot so it's asphalt Ouch! my cousin's wife who was driving she said that in the rear view mirror she saw a flash of purple go over the side (laughs) that's you Becky a flash of purple (laughs) my purple hair she saw two feet in the air no that's not (laughs) how you dive off of a truck no (laughs) shallow water do not dive what and her thought was oh no I think that was Becky (laughs) (laughs) But here's the thing. Yes, I fell off the back of a truck. Apparently, it was head first. Oh. And I popped right back up like a cork as if nothing had happened.
1: Did a somersault and landed on your feet?
0: No. I did a perfect Hapkido trained martial arts trained back break fall. Oh. uh. Landed on my forearms where you're supposed to because... It, it catches the impact. You don't damage your wrist or your elbow. Tucked my chin. My head didn't even hit the pavement. And I was back on my feet. And all these people were standing around me going, are you okay? Do you need an ambulance? And I'm like, I'm fine. What happened? <laughs> Picking little bits of broken glass out of your forearms. Like, okay, let's go. It was a freshly paved road. So it was still kind of smooth. We don't have those in Oklahoma. What's that like? I don't know. I don't know how they got that paving truck up that mountain. The
1: only freshly paved road we have is the one that a giant sinkhole opened in last
0: month. Oh. Yeah. We have this thing called tourism. We like to pretend we might someday, too. (laughs) This is a big tourist attraction. My daughter saw several of her classmates there. (laughs) Several of her
1: classmates saw her mother jump out of the back of a pickup truck into a forward back break roll
0: Let's just say jump. Let's just say jump. Let's not say yeah. fall. Let's just pretend that was completely we, planned.
1: We can meet Wait you halfway and say dove. Dove off of a truck. Dove.
0: <laughs> does, that, dove. does that sound fair? That wasn't sure, by accident, sure. technically. I did intend to jump. It just yeah. went differently than And I'm not, you know, even in hindsight, I'm not sure if I slipped. Or if I just fell wrong, apparently, what it looked like to other people was head under feet, flat on my back on the asphalt. But, But I didn't. That's just what it looked like to people. Flat on your
1: back? How'd you land on your forearms? Like with your
0: arms back? No, I didn't land flat on my back. I curved my back. So when you do a back break fall, if you're learning how to do it, you go down first, like you stand and then you squat. And you roll your back backwards. Mm-hmm. You're not having a solid impact on any particular vertebrate. You're rolling slowly and you tuck your chin so your head doesn't hit. Yeah. Yeah. And then distribute the impact. Then you take your forearms and go like smack on the ground. Mm. And that kind of distributes the impact from your back. And then that's also because you're rolling, you can just bounce right back up on your feet.
1: I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. So your forearms are kind of back, kind of behind your torso like palms to the ground.
0: Yeah, technically to do it correctly. Like when you're learning, you have your arms folded across your chest like a mummy when you do it. So you don't have the habit of trying to stop your fall with your arms. That's at the end. That's like at the moment of impact. You're like, boom, like that. And apparently I did it. Apparently I did it because I'm absolutely fine. And I was like texting everybody I knew. I was like, I fell off a truck and I'm fine. I fell off (laughs) Gotta love martial arts training. It works. It works. All those people that make fun of me for learning how to kill a man with my bare foot, they can go suck it because (laughs) it may have saved my life. Dang right. My mom's still not convinced I am. Like, she keeps texting me. She's like, do you have any pain? You should get x-rays. You might have a cracked hip and not even know it. And I'm like, I'm fine, mom. I'm really fine. (laughs) Apparently, that's how scary it was. Like, they're thinking I needed an ambulance dang no fine so
1: hang on how did you get into a truck bed that's six feet off the ground with help <laughs> so you needed help to get in but you thought mm, don't need any help to get out and you didn't i didn't exactly. <laughs> because you popped right back up i yeah, meant
0: the- <laughs> to back break roll this one mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then of course we had to get down the mountain my poor cousin, he was sitting across from me. I could tell he was having a panic attack the whole way down. Oh, really? Because it's like, it's it's scary curvy. It's a scary curvy high road. It's scary if you're in the cab of the truck, to be in the back of the truck, and knowing the person driving isn't used to mountains or curves. Yeah. Someone who kn- knows mountains should probably drive. And it's a long drive, too. You're going a mile and a half at 10 miles per hour. He's like, oh, and I'm just saying things like, You know, it doesn't matter if you're in the back or in the cab. If she goes over the mountain, we're all dead. He's like, shut up. Shut up. Not funny. (laughs) That's that's a good point. (laughs) Seatbelts only go so far. Yeah, that's how I convinced myself to get in the back. I was like, well, I might as well enjoy this last trip. (laughs) This trip of doom. Diana, thank you for listening to me brag about my falling abilities.
1: I'm so glad you fell in a controlled and, and healthy way. I do not have a
0: cracked hip or a cracked spine. I also didn't see any ghosts, so I'm totally bummed. Oh. You know, I went to all that work to get to the top of that mountain, and I didn't see any ghosts.
1: You almost became a ghost twice. Uh, that's true. Yeah. 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 They should have at least shown up to be like, welcome. Oh, wait. Oh, you're, you're okay. Never mind. Later.
0: Yeah, I know, Right. Like for a split second, I should have been able to see them all like, ooh, are we going to have another one?
1: As you're coming to and you're kind of blurry vision like they do in Hollywood when you have a fall and your vision mm-hmm. kind of blurs and then you're coming and to. And tweety
0: birds are going through my head. Yeah. <laughs> and there's
1: all these extra people in the crowds going, did she make it? Did she make She uh-huh. made it.
0: Nobody cared. Except my own family. They were the ones around me. Nobody else in the parking lot gave us, you know, they were all like, oh, another person fell out of a truck. Okay.
1: Just another day in Georgia.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for listening to those stories. We are going to have all sorts of cool links from Tempest stories that she's going to share with us today in our show notes at homespunhaints.com, as well as places where you can find her books. And also, please follow us on TikTok and Instagram at homespunhaints. It's homespunhaints for both of them, where we will tell stories and anecdotes and post photos that are relevant to this episode and other goofy things because... We're goofy people and also photos <laughs> that are irrelevant, <laughs> yeah, just because we think they're cool. I love that photo you <laughs> sent me the other day, Diana of the zombie in the library that was wow like great yeah, that yeah, was great. That was a sighting out in the wild. That's what yeah. the
1: local library looks like nowadays.
0: I don't doubt it in these end times. Finally, if you would like to discuss the episode, you can always check us out on our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash hates, where you can join in the discussion. And if you want more, more Diana and Becky, more, 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 then that was nice. Then, <laughs> <laughs> <thanks>. <laughs> Please consider supporting our Patreon, patreon.com slash hates, where you can get bonus episodes and all episodes commercial-free. Now, let's bring on Laura Tempest-Zakroff. Today on the show, we are so thrilled to have Laura Tempest-Zakroff. She is an amazing woman who does so many things. We know her through her books, but she is also a dancer. She is an artist. She is a practitioner of modern traditional witchcraft, and she has such an abundance of knowledge that she is going to share with us today. We couldn't talk to her about everything that she (laughs) knows, but we are going to focus today and talk about sigil crafting and the process behind it. We took a look at two of the books that she has written, Visual Alchemy and Sigil Witchery. They are chock full of so much great information if you are interested in the process behind creating a sigil or using sigils or even just manifesting what's in your mind into art and creating your own destiny in a way through that process, through creativity. So, Tempest, thank you so much for coming on today. It's such a joy to talk to you.
2: Thanks so much for having me. I'm a little verklempt.
0: (laughs) So tell us, for those people who don't know, because you do define it in your books, but how would you define what a sigil is?
2: A sigil is any mark that's been created by human beings, and that means by drawing, painting, etched, danced, licked, (laughs) created by a human being that is believed to have magical properties a big umbrella, like it Uh covers a whole lot of different things.
0: And we as human beings, and I know you cover this in your book, as human beings, we have been creating these marks, as long as we could create any sort of mark, whether it be on a cave wall, or a piece of parchment, a piece of papyrus. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of sigil making? A little bit. I know there's a lot. (laughs) Give us us an (laughs) overview.
2: I think it's, important for folks to realize that when we see those cave paintings and these marks that are 250,000 years old or even older than that, that the people who made that were just like us. They had the same brain capacity. They, they are us. And that moment in time, when we were able to make this little squiggle in the dirt or on the wall or put our handprint up to recognize that as something as a symbol, that this mark means something bigger as an idea, as a concept, as able to do something or represent something is huge for our brains. We now take it for granted that we are like, oh, that octagonal red shape means I should stop Doesn't mean you will But we have symbols all around us That infiltrate our daily lives And we don't think about it But it's a huge leap that our brain's are able to connect a mark to something bigger and we see it through all throughout the world any continent that you go to that's had human civilization we have mark making and a lot of those marks also overlap so when you go and see a spiral in australia and you see it in india and you see it in south america and north america it's like They might mean different things, but we've been creating these marks for so long for identity, for magic, for memory, for being able to tell stories, like so many different uses.
1: And so specifically, what's the difference between a sigil and like a pictograph?
2: Well, it's the magical aspect of it. (laughs) Often when I'm looking at like the the pictographs, the petroglyphs, like like in Utah Mm -hmm. and New Mexico and Arizona and such, is, you know, if you're like, they, they meant this huge big thing. And I'm like, are you, are you sure it wasn't just this is the way they've used some kids? <laughs> right? like, we're going over here to do some stuff. It's like, ah, I don't know about y'all, but like when I was a kid, there was like, I'm telling a story as I'm making the drawing, right? So you're like, but then they went and battled the dragon, and then there was a unicorn, and then you're doing the whole thing. And I can see that same type of energy in some of the petroglyphs out there. It's not just telling a story, but it's this interaction and probably telling other people at the same time. Now, is that magical? Well, it's using our imagination, which is linked to magic into itself. But when we get into the levels of connecting with spirits or ancestors or deities or other entities, I think that kind of more evolved as we developed religion. Like, at what point do we have religion versus spirituality in that whole ball of wax?
0: And specifically by religion, you're talking about very specific stories and like a mythology that's associated with a, a group of people. Is that sort of where you're drawing the distinction?
2: Yeah, something that's codified. So I would say that, say like the Amazigh people who I talk about in my book, they were animists. They also venerate their ancestors. There's a religion to that because they have a systemology that mm-hmm. this plant means. I the- as soon as we start kind of naming and recognizing a relationship that does go into religion, it doesn't have to be Sky Daddy. <laughs> right. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> One thing I love that you point out, and this is something that makes my blood boil, so my undergrad actually is an old world archaeology and i would get so angry at people that would be like oh well the pyramids were obviously built by aliens because there's no way they could and it's like no we we as human beings are again like you said the same brains the same way of thinking the same way of approaching our world the same need to like entertain our children for a few minutes, so we can go take a bath or whatever. And just because modern day Eurocentric people can't figure out how they did it doesn't mean that they couldn't do it on their own, they had a different way of doing it. We're just as smart today, as we were 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 years ago. And of course, that date, like the origins of modern humans that keeps getting pushed backward farther and farther Mm -hmm. as we discover more and more and i love that you pointed that out because i think it's really an important way for people to think about this and also i think it causes a big shift for a lot of people to recognize that just because maybe they didn't have electricity doesn't mean they weren't as intelligent or as advanced in their ways of thinking and their ways of imagining as we are today
2: exactly think about especially when it comes to like how we how much trash that we have versus You know, our ancestors that used everything up and Mm -hmm. understood how to reuse things, and it wasn't built on capitalism. (laughs) Right? Yes. (laughs) We're we're Mm -hmm. sort of (laughs) (laughs) de-evolving. So there is a
0: lot of misunderstanding about sigils, specifically. I talk to people that seem to feel that anytime there's some kind of magical symbol, they automatically associate it with evil which is really a shame and i'm sure that you encounter that <laughs> a lot where does that come from first of all like that association with evil and then i'd like you to tell us about what a sigil really is and like how you go about making them
2: <laughs> <laughs> like all right like, i think especially within the the magical and paranormal communities is we tend to have a very short attention span, even though this is a huge area that has so much depth and exploration of ideas and concepts. It's sort of like, yeah, so I've read this one book that was written by that one dude, and now I'm an expert. It's so much the influence of the last 200 or so years of Western occultism, when that butts up against Christianity and everything else and the satanic panic and all that is like, I don't understand where this comes from, therefore, it's evil as the the default instead of going, oh, this is fascinating. Let me consider. Are there other possibilities besides, boom, it's evil? (laughs) I think there's a lot of skewed books or a lot of books out there that are meant to sell books versus actually provide information. And there's just such a limited understanding of magic and witchcraft where people tend to think ceremonial magic and their idea of what Satanism is, which we know is not <laughs> not the actual practice, right. where they're like, Wow, well, clearly, we're going to make this complicated sigil on the ground and pour blood on it. And then we're going to conjure demons and command them to do our bidding and, and yada, 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 and open up a portal to hell. And I'm like, hmm.
1: <laughs> Hollywood <laughs> Satanism.
2: Yep. You're like, oh, bless your hearts.
0: (laughs) We do hear a lot about the Key of Solomon, alchemical text from what the 16th century, 17th century, sometime around then. And there was some sigil making in that, which is meant to conjure angels and talk to angels. And unfortunately, that seems to be what a lot of people take as the bible of what sigils should be is there any merit to what's in there it seems like it's all very mathematical and how would that be different what is in that text versus the type of things that you create
2: a lot of that is reconstructed and created which anything that we use always has a, an origin point mm-hmm. and if it's used enough it becomes effective or at least creates a pattern in there and so many people believe the older something is, and truly, <laughs> the, the more powerful it can be. And that's why you get all these guys who are like, yeah, I just spent like $600 on this like goat skin bound, blood made grimoire with all the you know, deep sigils of the ancient angels and demons. Well, it's going to be awesome. And <laughs> like, meanwhile, the publisher's like laughing all the way to the bank. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you know, some of these things are old, and some of them were kind of created, um, I think is almost from the era of like D&D, <laughs> like, but creating and crafting and kind of a mix of different things, You know, especially when it comes to the allure of the other, and the other being from another area, like here in the United States in the 90s, like when you're looking at the witchcraft community, it was so cool to say you're doing Irish witchcraft or Italian witchcraft or like any sort of country plus Wicca. <laughs> And like, because that was more authentic, right? It's from over there. Mm-hmm. And I think we see the same thing within Europe when they're looking at Hebrew scripture and Arabic texts and things that are coming in from, from China and India, right? To be like, well, this is older. This is more spooky. Therefore, it's more powerful. <laughs> it's like, you've got your own wisdom where you're at.
1: Is that kind of a, a form of, of fetishization of
0: different types of, of origins and ages? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's funny you mentioned that. I went to a metaphysical shop in Dublin, and I was surprised by how many texts and decks and totems and things they had that they claimed were Native American. I was like, oh my gosh, you guys, I came in here looking for like Celtic stuff, and it was all (laughs) American.
1: Like, oh guys. I see. So, this is a somewhat universal <laughs> fetish of it. no, 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 this other culture's magic is better. Let's learn from them or appropriate from them. Interesting. You said if it's used enough, it becomes effective.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Are you specifically stating that about sigils or any magic or just any human tradition?
2: I would say almost any human tradition because we, we have this fascinating ability to problem solve, but like to accept the first solution as the like, well, this this works. And then it gets carried along instead of being like, is there a better solution? Like, oh, no, 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 no. This is what Joe said. And this is where it's going to be like now it's in a book and now it costs $600. And so it gets built up. And it doesn't mean that like it actually truly works works, but maybe because people have, you know, like almost a placebo. Okay,
0: so you're saying it's more like a placebo type of thing, as opposed to like an American gods thing where the belief itself can manifest some sort of magic
2: for some of those things. But I do love the American gods reference, because I also think that is a really powerful concept. Like both Neil Gaiman and Charles de have things where like the creation of gods and how gods change like Mm -hmm. pan over in, in Greece is different than pan here in the United States. And also in England, like you go there, you get a different entity if you call upon those energies, because it's the common belief in the system, right? It's not to say that, any of these things are fake or they absolutely don't work, but it's more a matter of like, yeah, here's the, here's the easiest solution. Here's the Band-Aid.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also I wanted to get into something that you you just touched on, the Neil Gaiman idea that our own beliefs can create. And while it's popular to go look at some older culture or something for a solution, really that is all within us. And we have this amazing ability to create and human imagination is such a powerful tool and maybe all we really need to do is look within us for the answers to these things you get into the entoptic phenomena in your books i would love it if you could talk about this because i think this is this is kind of just another sign that we have we have all this stuff in our brains already all these things that we can create and this sort of collective across all human beings with symbols. Can you tell us about the entoptic phenomena, what that means?
2: So these are the seven different symbols, right? That we see where like, when you rub your eyes, I don't know if you did that as kids too, like oh, rub my eye and you see all little sparkles and the, the air moving. Yes. God's <laughs> <laughs> such a weird kid.
0: <laughs> We're all weird kids.
2: <laughs> right? So like it's a zigzags and half moons and cross hatches and things that we see. They are present in nature around us as well. I and mean, you look at the Fibonacci sequence, you know, with the spiral and how things mm-hmm. are, are broken down with that. So there's just sort of this base knowledge of wisdom that we have. And then a kind of cool thing that I also segue into is Genevieve von Petzinger and her 32 signs. She wrote the book, The First Signs. And for folks who want to check out the TED Talk, 32 signs, it's these symbols and marks that are repeated all throughout the world on over 200 sites that she investigated spanning 10,000 years. And it's just amazing, like it says, if we think about it, that if all of these different places have that same kind of symbolism, that we likely originated from the same source and took those with us, right? Or our brains are commonly coming to the same solution, that... Ah, a zigzag, a spiral, a crosshatch, a handprint, a star, asterisk, right? We, we see this again and again. And the meaning of all of these different things are going to vary from culture to culture. And even from each age group, like I talk in the book about what we know as a hashtag, right? When you mm-hmm. look at you show that to a kid it's a tic-tac-toe board and you show it to a musician it's a sharp sign and you show it to grandma, it's a pound sign you know but we all know it as a hashtag now and then like such a short amount of time but all these different applications to that which is fascinating because people you know they always like ah it's a circle it only means this like well really no. <laughs> says who <laughs> right
0: <laughs> i wish that these books that you've written were available when I was in art school and like trying to learn how to make logos because I think this needs to be part of the academic lexicon for art school. (laughs) I was really into symbols and symbol making and and meaning and stuff like that. I even did a project on like trying to codify logos and break down like what the different shapes meant and that kind of thing in grad school. And I couldn't really find much information out there. It's, It's surprising there's a lot of research to be done, I think, but I don't really see a lot of this like actually put down in a form that is accessible to at least artists or even business people in an academic setting. So like I said, I wish these books had been available 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> As somebody who's actively sought this material for a long time, I think you've done a really great job of, of breaking it down. Thank you. When you go about creating a sigil, and I know you do workshops on this, you have classes with your Patreon, you co-create sigils with other people for the year and for different things and different challenges that people are going through. Can you give us an overview of what that process is like?
2: Sure. So I say it's a four-point process and only three of them are necessary. (laughs) And the first thing is the first rule or the guideline is present in all forms of magic, which is figure out what's your your point, what's your goal, Mm -hmm. what's your problem, what's your issue, what are you trying to solve? When we think about basic spellcraft, this could be about love, it can be about prosperity, it could be like trying to find a place to live, right? These are kind of the big things. There's like a big five. Those are the three of the big five of like, what do I need to do? I need love, I need money, I need somewhere to live you've got that and most people just go to the point of like oh i need money i'll burn a green candle which is very fascinating on the the side note of like that kind of works in the united states but then you go to canada it's like do you burn a rainbow colored candle (laughs) (laughs) so number one why are you creating this sigil why are you doing the spell and step two is to brainstorm which most people don't get to in (laughs) in most forms of magic Mm -hmm, because they're like I will burn a green candle for prosperity or for money and, and like, Oh, I burned the candle and I got the new job. But now I hate this job. Like, because you didn't, you didn't ask for, you didn't like really lay out whether well, the guidelines here. I like to say that magic follows the path of least resistance, which is some way of kind of backhand away saying the universe is a bit lazy. <laughs> it's just like, and this is not a new age concept this is i would like to say an old age concept because you can go to mythology from all around the world and you see it again and again this sort of be specific but don't be too specific be careful what you ask for whether that's the mm-hmm. jinn or baba yaga or anansi or coyote like we have all of these kind of trickster spirits that are there in neo-deities they're like ah teach you a lesson.
0: Midas (laughs) immediately comes to my mind.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I was thinking of the genie from what we do in the shadows. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) cannot make my penis larger by making every other man's penis smaller. (laughs) That was the one loophole you hadn't covered yet.
2: (laughs) The the monkey's paw, All, all of that stuff, right? Like this is ingrained into humanity. So it's not a new concept, but people don't think about it. So what I tell people is to create a brainstorm list of, okay, you want you want a new job, right? Well, how much money do you want to make? What kind of job is it? Is there room for advancement? If you're in this country, healthcare <laughs> is healthcare provided. All these different things to make this list. And then in the step three, the design process, and which has to be said that way, the design process. <laughs> okay. You're going to take that list and you're going to coordinate marks and symbols. So if you want upward mobility, you might choose an arrow. If you want security, you might choose a square for you or a diamond. If you want to make 80K, you might put 80K down there as, you know, what you want. And then you're going to combine these into a symbol that makes your brain happy. It might be the first time you do it, or it might be 20 pages later until you arrive at the sigil that works for your brain. But when it happens, it's always this, ah, (laughs) this happy moment. And... From there, you can just close your book and call it a day, or there's step four, which is to apply or acknowledge that sigil, which that's where we get into the more fun bits of spellcraft. We love stuff, the herbs, the oils, the crystals, the candles, all that kind of stuff. So whether you're carving into a candle or a bar of soap for protection, if you're wearing it and putting it into jewelry or tattooing, if you're burning it, like all these different things. And so pretty much anything that you do a traditional sympathetic magic spell for, you know, the candles, the oils, the crystals, etc., herbs, you can use a sigil, which kind of cuts down your your metaphysical bill. <laughs> 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 you know, like, I just wildcrafted this pen from the bank and I have a gas receipt. And so I was just going to kind of MacGyver this moment and make it work. But if you want to do all this stuff, you can do that stuff because it also responds to our... Visualization process. Like all these different items, they aren't necessarily the magical things. It's our association with them and it's how they really touch into our own imagination so that through the aroma and through the textures and the colors and all these different things that we move forward, right, with our brains. But if we're already doing a pretty good visualization process already through that brainstorming, it's already started and you don't have to do a damn thing.
0: It is so applicable to so many things. You've outlined a process for creating a sigil. But I think no matter what you're doing, even doing something for your job or doing something for your art practice, like this is this is like a way to be successful. And I think it's absolutely brilliant. I think this should be taught in schools.
2: (laughs) I agree. And next to math, because math, math and magic. mm. They, yes,
0: am, they, they, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not
2: saying calculus, like nobody.
0: Has no, to yeah. but like geometry, definitely. This is a very personal process. The symbols that you are creating are personal to you, which is why it's not going to do you any good, right, to like go find some old book and copy down what somebody else has written, because you didn't go through that process yourself. You didn't go through that brainstorming yourself. And so it's not necessarily right. going to have that same effect. Am I picking up mm. on that correctly?
2: Yeah. I mean, whether it's some random sigil from a grimoire or something you found on Tumblr, <laughs> because it's definitely a thing. You know, especially for like, this is for love. Well, what kind of love? Are you looking for like a hot, you know, kind of good night? Are you looking for a long-term relationship? Is it self-love? Is it familiar love? Who knows? That's wide, wide range. And you're the only person who can really define what that, that goal in that relationship is for you. So I always recommend to people like if it's something personal, then you should craft it yourself. I do offer the shared magic sigils, which tend Uh to be for larger social justice and magical resistance and overall good, but those are really well explained. Like every time I put a blog post up, it shows the whiteboard or the workboard that we're using and so what's in the list and the, the symbols that we're using and seeing like how and why it was made and, and suggestions on how to use it so that people can become more familiar and personal with it as well as augmented. A lot of these old grammars, they're really about contacting a particular entity, right? They're like, this, this is like almost an old phone book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or it's for protection or something like that and it's connected to a spirit. And here we are, we're really personalizing that process and you don't have to be familiar with some Abrahamic religion in order to make something that's powerful for you.
1: It sounds like using of symbols for sigils that are already on the internet or in a book, it sounds like that's just skipping to step four and leaving out all the necessary steps and going to the arbitrary step. I think you made it pretty clear that the journey is the value, not so much the destination. And so what you're basically telling us is it's more important to craft sigils than to use sigils.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, it that it, it really is the magical process is the brainstorming and the design part of it. In the magical community people toss around, you know, the words activation and charging, like, well, how do you activate it then? You're supposed to burn it so it doesn't exist anymore and forget about like, these are also modern takes on from a very small interpretation of a larger concept. And, you know, it really is the brainstorming is the most powerful part of this to really delve into it to really get that nitty gritty in there. And if you just copy and paste, (laughs) what's copying and pasting text, you didn't really write the essay, you didn't really show you understood Mm -hmm. what you're looking for, right? You're just like, Oh, let AI do it. That's fine.
0: Like you said, the universe is lazy. You don't you don't want to be lazy about your own desires. You want to have a very clear idea of what you want. Even if you're not using magic, you're never going to get there unless you have a clear idea of what you want.
2: And at the same point, too, it's like here's some random thing. I don't understand it. I love when guys are like, "Oh, look at this mark. Clearly, this is conjuring blah 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 demon." Like, or or a four year old drew it. Yes. <laughs> so I always tell people, if you accidentally ended up drawing something that looks like a veve connected to a particular loa or an angel or demon whatever it is like you aren't thinking about contacting that entity you aren't going to contact that entity it's not part of the process you you really aren't going to make a wrong phone number because you are in your own world about what uh-huh. this means and if it happens to overlap i mean it's really rare that's going to happen but people are like oh, i'm just what well, if i conjure something I'm like did you plan on conjuring something <laughs> <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta pick up the phone and do that.
1: Because there's the universal symbols that you mentioned earlier, but even though they're semi-universal, the actual culmination of the combination has to be something that you just arrive at by yourself.
0: Right. Even universal symbols aren't universal in meaning. Yeah, how all has to do with where it's coming from and the originator. And it's the same for colors. I always I used to have to teach color theory and I always told my class, I was like, Yeah, symbolism with colors is just bullshit. Like it just has to do with where you're from.
2: Because you know, people are like, oh, I need a red candle for love. And like, well, maybe do you want magenta or do you want fuchsia, you know, mm-hmm. pink? Red could be fortune, but red could be anger. Like mm-hmm. all of these things, it's our personal, con- or stop, right? <laughs> like right? like what if you're yeah. putting the brakes on something, it's where you're coming from culturally and personally in your own life experience that's going to influence your outcome because of what you see and perceive.
0: That personal aspect, something that you mentioned in, I think it was Visual Alchemy, You started out by talking about how we all start out as creators in a way. We all start drawing, and it is such an amazing thing as humans that we have the ability to take these abstract thoughts in our brains and actually then transfer it through our hands, using our hands, or through dance, our bodies, somehow taking it out of our brains through our bodies, and then onto a surface or creating a dance or something like that. But we're, we're taking it outside of ourselves and creating this abstract expression and how incredibly powerful that is. And then we're encouraged by modern capitalist society to not do that. That's just for, that's a hobby, or that's just for special people who may make it and, and we're discouraged from doing it which is a shame because in a way, like by us doing that, in a way we are manifesting something new. We are creating something new out of nothing. We are creating magic. Mm -hmm. So first of all, I I paraphrased a lot there. Walk us through that. Like what all is happening in our brains when we go through that process, when we create and how is that magical?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Exciting thing. So when we are translating ideas i like to look at ideas as sort of their own kind of sentient beings or consciousness or such a quote in visual alchemy big magic that's elizabeth gilbert it's a great book for artists for everybody particularly but i think artists need a good kick in the ass over <laughs> because i was like yes this is how it is this is what i call the slutty muses that ideas exist and we pull them right we pull at these this from air, if you will, from subconscious, unconscious self from the universe, and translate it through our bodies into sculpture, into dance, into music, into writing all these different things. And when we're doing that, we're doing multiple processes, like art is so vital for civilization, and for humanity, because we're in one way downloading or offloading to create something to make that piece of music is to get it out of your head and out into the world, right? So you kind of freeing up space in your brain and then offloading it on other brains, which is great. And when we're looking at magic, I find within the magical community, people love to talk of magic and witchcraft and spellcraft and ritual, and most of them are scared to death of actually the thing working. And it's it's mostly society, right because when you start talking about magic, people roll their eyes like I, I can't stand the word magic, but we all have a better word right now to, to describe mm-hmm. it. But most people they think you're talking about like Harry Potter shit or fantasy and all that stuff where it's really again taking that element of consciousness, ideas and the influences that we want to see upon the world and translating it through our bodies through our consciousness because magic starts with thought we are really tapping into that creative part of our brains that really has an an effect on our well-being and how we see the world.
0: Wow, Tempest, this is, my head is full. This is so much brilliant information. I am so thrilled that we've had a chance to talk to you.
1: I've always thought of sigil creation as almost like attempting to divine Something that exists somewhere as like a Socratic form or something, there is a sigil and you're divining it through some kind of metaphysical means. But it's very much a flip for me to visualize a, a sigil as manifesting a new form that never existed. So that's, that's a really cool um little mind fuck there I, I appreciate it thank you
2: <laughs> I think I think you are onto something though because why do our brains go like in the part of the process and go ah I recognize it right I recognize that mm. this is the solution and we start looking at the makeup of the universe like at the molecular level and like fractals and all that's like the world is made of patterns and shapes and what are you doing except for going? Okay, here's the door. How do I craft a key to open that door? So you already know what the shape of the lock is, uh-huh. and you're devising your key. And then, you know truth is like with some keys, anything will work. Hairpin will work, or use like you know the perfect thing. So I think it's a bit of both. I think that we are. Doing that bit of problem solving on both sides to go, all right, how do I unlock it? What does the key look like? And then hopefully they come together and they will. And then if you need to fix it and you update it, you can update it. Because sometimes, you know, when you get keys made and then it doesn't quite,
0: <laughs> yep. doesn't quite do
2: the thing. Then Over you have to time. go back. And like, yeah. Dude, <laughs> it just doesn't work.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Tempest, you've written the book Sigil Witchery and visual alchemy tell us about some other books that you think our listeners might be interested in checking out
2: I have weave the liminal which is living modern traditional witchcraft it's sort of the book that I wish I had speaking of book books I wish we had 20 years ago uh, <laughs> it is sort of the book that I had 25 plus years ago now that really has a non hierarchical very much personal practice approach to witchcraft and especially for those folks who've been kind of diving through a bunch of books that they're like there's so many books and how do i know what's you know what's garbage and what's right this helps you to work your way problem solve through that and then more recently is anatomy of a witch which is about seeing your body as your most powerful magical tool because it is like we are we are spirits you know y'all talk a lot about spirits and ghosts, <laughs> right we are embodied spirits doing this weird you know flesh dance anatomy of which is, is seeing that you don't necessarily need all this stuff but you do need to connect with your own personal body and the complications that arise mm. with that. So that's another thing that folks can check out.
0: Excellent. And your website is com. Is that correct? Yes. And yes. you also have a link tree that has links to all sorts of things. Can you tell us what that is?
2: Yes. So the the Linktree will get you to the author website. And it goes to my shop, which is where all my art and my books and various things are at. Probably all of my social media on there. So Patreon and Facebook and Instagram.
0: That's Linktree slash Alchemy, which is O-W-L-K-E-Y-M-E. And that's also your Instagram, alchemy.arts, correct? Yes, yeah,
2: yeah. I am a dork. Okay. And I like <laughs> owls. We're
0: going to have links to all of that in our show notes at homespunhaints.com. And also we will be linking to a lot of your imagery and stuff on our Instagram, which is at homespunhaints. And also be sure you check out Tempest's website. She has a lot of great information with her books and she has a lot of things for sale. We talked about sigils, but she's also a painter and she has a lot of great items that you can purchase, shirts, bags to hold your tarot cards, altar cloths, all sorts of things with her work on them. They are all gorgeous. You have a very distinctive style, Tempest, and I I love your work. And then you also offer sigil workshops.
2: Yep, I try to do virtual ones about once every month or every other month.
0: Well, Tempest, thank you so much. This has been a real joy to talk to you. This was awesome. Like I said, I wish I could go back 20 years and stock these on my bookshelf while I'm in art school. Would have made life a lot different. I appreciate everything you do, and thank you so much for coming on and talking to us today.
2: Thank you all so much.
0: And
1: listeners, have you created sigils? Do you want to learn more about creating sigils? Did you skip the steps and outsource your sigils accidentally? Did that lead to an unintentionally spooky day?
0: Homespun Haints is hosted by Becky Kilimnick and Diana Doty and produced by Homespun Haints Media LLC. Editing and music by Becky Kilimnick. Show notes by Diana Doty. If you have a ghost story and you'd like to be considered as a guest for this podcast, please visit our website at homespunhates.com slash submit.